Welcome to the Weird Warriors podcast. On this podcast, we normally focus on the Weird War Tales comic book series published by DC Comics from 1971 to 1983. However, on this episode, we are going on a side mission and taking a look at a completely different series from a completely different company. This time around, folks, we are looking at War is Hell, number nine, published by Marvel Comics. And Rich is going to give you the lowdown on that series. Yeah, War is Hell was a war horror comic book series by Marvel Comics from 1973 to 1975. For the first six issues, it featured reprints of old Atlas War books, which predated Marvel. The next two issues were Sergeant Fury reprints before they launched into the all-new material in issue nine. So yeah, very much like how Weird War Tales got started. But it didn't last anywhere near as long, being canceled at issue 15. Now, I don't know how I got started on this series. I never collected Sergeant Fury or any other Marvel War book. Maybe I plucked one out of a three for a dollar box someplace and got hooked. But uh, I got them all, and the series has survived various weedings of the collection over the years. I even got Joe Sinnott to sign issue number four, whose reprinted One Step Means Death story originally came from Battleground 15 from 1957. Yeah, I mean, you don't know how you got started on the series. I mean, it says war right on the front of the cover. I know you don't collect every single war book, but you know, like at some point, like you said, you ended up with one and the completest and you just went, oh, there's only 15 of them? Boom. They're probably pretty cheap. Entirely possible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, and of course you had to, uh, Tell us how you got Joe Sinnott to sign one issue because, you know, that's just how you roll. So that is, that, that's, the, that's the basic summary of the series. And uh, for one Sorry. moment here, we're going we're gonna to take a quick podcast promo break and we'll be right back to discuss the issue in depth. In 1974, four men literally changed the face of rock and roll forever. Gene Simmons, Peter Chris. Ace Freely and Paul Stanley wanted to become the band they never got to see. Over the next 40 plus years, the music, the makeup, the merchandise, and the loyal fan base have propelled KISS to one of rock and roll's elite groups. With KISS heading down their end of the road tour, we thought we would start our journey. Turn it up to 10 because we love it loud. Right Between the Eyes is a podcast all about our favorite band, KISS. We will be covering all eras of KISS with the various albums, studio, live, and compilations, plus album mashups and more. We will also cover solo and band projects from all members, past and present, while also looking at the various bands that have opened for KISS as well. Not to mention all of the fun items in the KISS catalog. TV appearances, long-form videos, merchandise, comic books. Come on, the list goes on and on. Coming in late May, early June 2021 to a podcast platform near you. Follow us on Twitter at RBTE Podcast. Loud. I want to hear it loud. Right between the eyes. We're back. Now, Rich is also going to tell us about the cover to issue nine of War is Hell. Yeah, the cover detail, the pencils, were done by Gil Green Lantern Kane, inks by Ernie Chan. The date of release is October 1974. 
And on the cover, we have War is Hell in block letters with hell all aflame. It's new. It's different. Introducing a startling new series of the supernatural. And the hero is death. A purple-robed death logo stands next to the title. It's 25 cents. On the cover, a German soldier charges through rubble to bayonet an American soldier, who parries the thrust with a knife. At the American's feet is a crying little blonde-haired girl with a doll. Looming behind all three of them is death, reaching for the two combatants. And I I suppose this could have been a little killjoy was here, but... uh, I'm sorry, I can't unsee the U.S. soldier's left boot. I thought only Rob Leffold couldn't draw feet. And this looks like a leather sack at the end of a leg. It looks, it's kind of distracting for me. Yeah, it's, it's, a hell of a, it's a hell of a cover otherwise. But I'm like, man, that's, that, that's not a foot. I don't know what that is. It's a weird misstep for, to, to pardon the pun, misstep. But uh, for an artist like Gil Kane, who normally is so good at drawing almost two realistic hands and feet in comic books like his hands and shoes and and just the feet in general are impeccable normally so i gotta wonder if um you know he penciled this kind of loosely and whoever inked it just did a hack job on that boot or even if gil kane sometimes goes ah whatever good enough take it you know but that is very weird it does stick out especially if you know gil kane's work and you're used to seeing the job he normally turns in so yeah, man. I mean, other than that boot, which um, you know, honestly, I didn't really notice at first until you pointed it out in the script. And now um, you can't unsee it. <laughs> now I can't. No, it's like the uh, zoom right in on it, you know. But like other than that, as you were alluding to, the cover is really eye-catching. It's got big figures and dynamic poses, all somehow without obscuring the logo or looking too busy. Again, Gil Kane a master of design. You know, if I saw this one on the rack and it hadn't been published when I was like three years old, I would have snatched it up immediately. And yeah, also, yeah, it's new. It's different. It's also a lot like that war book that DC's been putting out for like three years by now. What's that one called again? Um... Yeah. Even the logo kind of smacks of the sincerest form of flattery with the great big bold lettering for hell. Very much kind of mimicking the giant bold weird of DC's book, but not looking as cool because it's not stuffed full of dead bodies. You know, like right away, I'm just like, okay, this is a cool cover and all, but I kind of see what you're doing here. And we'll get to more of that later. But as opposed to Weird War Tales, this book is, you know, filled with only one story. It's not an anthology within each issue. Um, We'll get to later how it might be sort of an anthology as it goes on in the next remaining six issues after this one. But we just have one story here. And we're going to break up the synopsis for it. So um, Rich is going to lead us off with War is Hell, written by Chris X-Men Claremont, art by Dick Ayers and Frank Springer. Okay, here we go. Page one, John Kowalski is running, pages two and three, to a devastated village in Poland where he screams in rage about why these people had to die. Kowalski searches for survivors from the German air raid and finds a dying old man named Osterman. Osterman spits on Kowalski, calling him a coward, and curses him with his dying breath for refusing to help prevent this catastrophe. Kowalski sees a shadowy figure in the distance, who we see as death, wrapped in robes, and pursues it, but loses him. He's suddenly knocked unconscious by a crazed homeless man swinging a cane, who loudly refuses to share the ruined town with anyone. As the scavenger wanders off, Kowalski subconsciously remembers how he got here. Marine Sergeant, Medal of Honor awardee, wrongly found guilty of treason, 
busted to private, dishonorably discharged, and deported to Poland, his country of origin. Walking to Krakow to work for his uncle, Kowalski is stopped by Dr. Osterman, a German with the anti-Hitler underground. Osterman warns him that Germany will invade Poland the next day and begs for help to warn everyone. But Kowalski refuses to do so. He gets drunk instead on his birthday and wakes up to a sky full of German planes. He runs to town and it's time to see it destroyed. Regaining consciousness, Kowalski searches for food, but the scavenger finds him first. As death watches, the two men fight in the ruins of the town. A little blonde girl finds the bread, and the enraged scavenger attacks her as she starts to eat it. Death starts to laugh as Kowalski tackles the scavenger and renews their struggle. The two men slam into a damaged freestanding chimney, which collapses on top of them. Kowalski wakes with a start and sees death, but initially believes it to be a costumed man before seeing the truth. You're a nightmare. Who are you? Death replies, if I am a nightmare, how can I be anyone? He gestures at the scavenger lying dead on the ground. He knows me now. So what? Kowalski asks. I'm not dead? What makes you think I am interested in you, mortal? Death replies. Kowalski sees Death gazing at the little girl. He scoops her up and runs off, refusing to let Death have her. He runs until he finds a Polish army unit and puts her down. She runs to an amazed soldier who wants to know how she got there. And when she says, a man took me, the soldier says, what man? Although Kowalski is standing right next to her. Enraged and confused, Kowalski demands answers from Death who shows Kowalski his own dead body in the ruins of the chimney. Refusing to believe it, he attacks death, but passes through his form and falls to the ground. You are spoke, mortal, a fading memory, a phantom. You are dead, John Kowalski. At that moment, a German panzer column attacks the Poles, despite the fact the Red Cross is mixed in with them. They're slaughtered when the Poles refuse to surrender. A stunned Kowalski asks death, How many? Died? In this action, 143. All Poles, mostly civilian. In the coming war, 40 million, more or less. And one is the little blonde girl. Kowalski asks Death why he's putting him through this hell, and Death replies, You bear Osterburn's curse, mortal, so know you this. A coward dies a thousand times before his death. You will die them all, and a thousand, thousand more. Rest in peace. John Kowalski. And that is a pretty good spot to wrap up issue number one of the War is Hell reboot right there. So I will just launch right into my little killjoy was here moments that I have here. Oh, yeah. And it said Kowalski earned the Medal of Honor in an odd time period, uh, probably in the early to mid 30s. I couldn't leave well enough alone. I had to do some research. Uh, turns out two Medals of Honor were handed out to Marines in the second Nicaraguan campaign from 1926 to 1933. So, hey, I guess it's possible. But uh, the upcoming letters page lead in guesses he got it in 1936, though. So, uh, uh, but as far as a more visual gripe, at the end of the story, the period correct Panzer I sported two machine guns in the turret and Dick Ayers drew two cannon. Holy firepower, Batman. <laughs> Dick Ayers had to step it up, man. He had to make it more dramatic. Yeah, that would do it. Or he didn't know what he was drawing. Yeah, either way. <laughs> Dick Ayers was, was, was in the Army Air Forces. He didn't know anything about armor. <laughs> yeah, he's way above that stuff, man. Yeah. So, all right, for, um, for commendations, what do you got? Uh, the the two-page spread as the story starts of a flattened Polish village 
bodies lying everywhere in the flaming rubble as German planes fly away. Death watches Kowalski rage. Why? And uh, the, the one box that he has here says, uh, I found Annalie in the shattered ruin of her pharmacy. At least, I think it was Annalie. It was wearing a dress I'd given Annalie. Beyond that, there wasn't enough left of the body to be sure. I mean, this is a whoa moment when I saw it. It was one of the best battle aftermath scenes in a comic I'd seen in a long time. As I just said, uh, Ayers was a World War II vet. He, uh, he was assigned to a B-26 Marauder medium bomber squadron, the 586th. Uh, as ground crew. Uh, he wrote a few autobiographical stories about his service in the DC war books. And um, I got him to sign one at a con a few years back. And he, he missed it. You know, when I saluted him, I shook his hand and thanked him for his service. Um, after the war, it was common practice for bomb groups to take the ground crews for flights over Europe. So to, to, to see the flattened enemy cities and see how they'd helped win the war. So I have to imagine Ayers knew what he was drawing. This is Phenomenal, phenomenal piece of artwork right here. This is this is something to behold. Yeah, it's again, it's hard to beat that that as you said, truly epic two page spread. That thing is ridiculously good, and it's really kind of horrifying. Like it, it just looks terrible. Like it, it really looks like the aftermath of a city being bombed flat. And like you said, heirs would know what that looked like. So, I mean, that is definitely the star piece of the issue. But to pick something else, I'll go with the full page splash of the scavenger and Kowalski locked in mortal combat with death looming above them as a little ragamuffin of a girl reaches out for the baguette of bread in the foreground. I mean, I, I just love that page right there. It's just that has like poster-like design to it. It's incredibly well drawn. And, you know, it's just a rare moment of the cover of this issue reflected an actual scene from inside this, you know, the actual story pages. But I, I really just, I looked at that one page Page for almost as long as I looked at that two-page spread. I thought it was great. And also, this being some early Chris Claremont writing, because he, he did the scripting on this, even though Isabella and Roy Thomas came up with the plot. It's kind of fun to see the beginnings of what would become Claremont's, you know, uh, kind of excessively verbose writing style. I mean, in this issue, Claremont's prose is just purple enough to fit the story and even add to the atmosphere of it all, as opposed to in the X-Men later on when he's got word balloons that just about leave no room for the art in the panel. Like Cyclops's head is down in the bottom right corner and there's seven word balloons stacked up above him. So, you know, I almost like think like this early Claremont for me is like peak Claremont when he wasn't quite so confident. So the art of course is excellent throughout. Uh, Dick Ayers is great. And I'm not sure though how often I've seen Frank Springer act as an inker over someone else's panels, but I felt he really added like a nice energetic touch to Ayer's usually cleaner, almost stiffer lines, even though I like his art a lot. But Frank Springer is this very notoriously fluid, kind of loose artist, and you can see that energy added on top of Ayer's pencils for me just to get a little like art geek here. And uh, one more point I want to make on my way out is this is an absolutely classic example of a Marvel comic book. In fact, it's Amazing Fantasy number 15. Peter Parker ignores a cry for help, and later on that selfish act leads to the death of a loved one, after which his life is cursed forever with the burden of great responsibility. This is Spider-Man's first appearance in war comic form. 
It, it kind of is like the guy's like, I'm not helping you warn anybody crazy old man. I'm getting drunk. I'm wash myself in self pity or whatever. And then he wakes up and Anna Lee has been killed. He's responsible for the war and he's cursed with an eternal burden by death at the end. I'm like, it could be a coincidence, but uh, you know, it really feels like there's always so many origin stories out there. Let's but just this <laughs> man, this like almost beat for beat is like, you know, the, the Peter Parker story. I just, maybe I've read too many comic books entirely possible, but that just really jumped out to me that like, yep, I'm over in Marvel now because this is one of their stock stories, man. Um, it works. I really enjoyed the issue, but I, after I realized that it's like that boot on the cover, couldn't get it out of my head after that. So that's, that's my uh, mixed commendations and comments on the issue. Um, but we got more to talk about in these pages. Um, tell them about this little piece called make your own hell. Yeah, well, Weird War, it's called, in APO Weird War, in War is Hell, it's called Make Your Own Hell. It's going to be the uh, the letters page in the future, but in this first edition, it's uh, Tony Isabella just talking about hell. And it's his take is interesting enough that we've decided to read it in its entirety, and we will discuss afterwards. So, to start, a few words about hell. When man takes up weapons against each other, that is hell. When people die in senseless outbreaks of violence, that is hell. When they die before your very eyes, there is no escaping the fact that that is hell. And you're in it. Hell. Enter John Kowalski. Immigrant. Soldier. Medal of Honor winner. Unjustly convicted traitor. Undesirable person. Outcast. Quite a trip, no? John Kowalski is me. He's Chris Claremont, who scripted this issue when my new editorial position ate up a good bit of my writing time. He's you, too. And if you don't believe it, baby, you're in for some definite shocks. John Kowalski put his faith in an army, specifically the U.S. Marine Corps, circa 1936. No better, no worse than other armies. That was dumb, though. Really dumb. Armies exist for one reason when you cut away all the external bull. Armies exist to kill other armies. Unfortunately, my friends, people get caught in the middle. People get killed. People like you and me. War as hell is about those people. Maybe, just maybe, by portraying the suffering and waste that accompanies even a popular war, we can hit some sensitive chord inside you. That's our aim. Your letters will ultimately tell us if we've succeeded. One last comment. War stinks. We're not going to try to glorify that madness and then try to make amends by attaching some funky no more war slogan to the end of the story. Because this story hasn't ended yet. Maybe it doesn't end until the last us has slain the last them, and vice versa. John Kowalski's hell is World War II. This is mine, and yours, baby, and yours. Come on in. The killing's fine. And don't forget to wear your steel pot to catch your blood in. This time, some gut feelings not necessarily reflecting any views of the Marvel Comics group. Next time, the story of how this series was created. Ciao. T.I. You know, the, the first time I read this, I was kind of like, wow, this is you know, pretty deep and everything. It, it was kind of an interesting take. I mean, you could tell this thing was written in the 70s and stuff like that because, because Isabella just keeps saying, baby. And rereading it now, I'm like, yeah, this is comes across pretty much like, you know, your 70s, you know, freshly out of Vietnam, you know, don't trust anybody, war sucks you know, just overall pessimism. I mean, uh, just my take on it's kind of changed, actually, like I said, you know, from the first time I read it to now. 
I mean, it, it's it's interesting, but he, he's kind of like, uh, kind of douchey. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I was going to say, like, I'm, I'm with him for, like, you know, a good part of this. Like, you know, even though it's a little, you know, melodramatic, this yeah. is comics. And, you know, I, I can I can eat some melodrama, man. I, I'm showing up for it, you know? So, like, when he's like, this is hell, and watching someone die is hell, and war is and terrible and you know trusting in the army you know completely is dumb like i'm like yeah i, I get all that I, you, you, i'm with you but it's the style like you said that's the style and the attitude and kind of the almost snottiness that i feel is coming through and then even though he was a young man at the time the throwing in baby all i was thinking of is like are you kojak or something like it, it came across as like a much older man trying to be hip you know, like I said, even though Tony was probably pretty darn young when this came out. But what rankled my feathers more than anything else was the transparent little petty shot at Weird War Tales. When he's like, we're not going to put some little no more war slogan at the end of the story that glorifies war. And it's like, okay. First of all, the only reason you're doing this book is Weird War Tales is succeeding over at DC for three years. And you're obviously following, you know, somewhat the format. You know, you're trying to catch a little bit of that juice. And the two publishers have always done that and still do that to this day. But don't act like Marvel books don't glorify war. Like, even with my history with DC war books, DC always did a better job of being nuanced about war. Marvel was the 100% rah-rah patriotic Sergeant Fury's a superhero, you know, go Captain America. DC kept their superheroes out of the war, you know, like they, they specifically made up some cockamamie uh, story about Hitler having the spear of destiny. So no one with superpowers can come over here. You know, Marvel had Captain America over there and just to me, the split was so obvious that to see him pretend it was the opposite I was just like, who who told you to do this, you know? And then, like, taking that shot at No More War, I'm like, that's Joe Kubert's Make No War button, sir. You shut your mouth. <laughs> you know? like, he kind of really, like, he had me in the beginning, and by the end, he'd straight up piss me off. <laughs> so. and, and, and just like what you were saying before, I mean, all my life, I was loading up on, you know, GI Combat, Sergeant Rock, you know, all, all the DC books. And, you know, I, you know, up at the family camp up on Lake George, you know, the little spinner rack at the little country store and stuff like that. There'd be the odd time there'd be like a Sergeant Fury and I'd pick it up and I'd take it back to the dock and I'd flip through it and I'd just be like, meh. (laughs) It just, Sergeant Fury just never, ever just put the hook in me. It was always, it was always the DC books. So that's what I said before. That's, that's why it's kind of odd that this War is Hell book I actually you know, collected all of. It was definitely a, an aberration. Yeah, I'm not saying like DC's War books are perfect or that the, the reprints in the beginning of Weird War Tales weren't a bunch of rah-rah patriotism uh, pablum because a lot of them were reprinted from the 50s, like, you know, uh, propaganda pretty much. But on the balance, DC did books like Enemy Ace, you know, that Marvel's not going to do and actually pulled that off. Like if you'd like, oh, we're going to do a book about a German pilot and we're going to make him the main character. It's like worst idea ever. But you read Enemy Ace and it's an incredibly compelling series. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Marvel could never have pulled that off. Like they definitely had 
the superhero formula. I, I love classic Marvel superhero comics as, you know, as crazy as they are, they had more characterization. They had, you know, more drama and, and more action than DC comics of the same period. But the war books, man, it is no contest in my mind. So this was just such a weak tried, <laughs> you know, try to have a slap at, at weird war tales that um, I was glad you picked this issue. And I was surprised to find that shot in there. And I'm like, oh, this ties right into the theme of the overall podcast. We've got this little scrappy Marvel series trying to take a shot at our big dog. And they failed. <laughs> <laughs> and I like this issue. I really wish this, you know, I haven't read uh, to issue 15 yet, but I'm gonna now because I really did like this story. I, you said you'd never even heard of this series before I dropped it in the, in the let's do this pile. No, so. man. And I had to go out and get it. And like, and, and you know, I got all the way to the end and I'm gonna read them because the issue nine is great. They didn't need to take a shot at the competition. It's like when, you know, in the role-playing game world for my other, one of my other many nerdy sides, when you make your own role-playing game, do not start the introduction with, here's why we're better than Dungeons and Dragons or the big dog. No, just shut up. You don't, if you have to say that, you're already not. Just put your game out and let people judge it on its merits. If you're better than D&D, you're going to beat them. People are going to find you. You know, like, and, and with this, like, you don't have to take shots and, and, and thinly veiled, almost cowardly shots. Like, just mention the name of the series then. If you're going to talk about, ooh, no more war, get it right and just say, we're better than Weird War Tales. But they couldn't do it. You know, like, it just, just, uh, every time I talk about that little piece of Tony Isabella's, I like it less. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like, that, that to me is, is, is the problem here. Like, you know, DC's war books, uh, you're not going to catch up Marvel. Like, the, the war books by this time, even in the, in, in the mid-70s, the clock is ticking. You know, like, Weird War Tales went to, to 83, but by then... Were there two or three other war books on the racks from anybody? You know, it's, you're already trying, you're trying to, you're trying to punch above your weight class in a genre that already has a shrinking audience. So, you know, but again, the issue was great. I liked the story. Uh, Claremont scripting is not too Claremontian. You know, Ayers and Springer are a fantastic <laughs> art team. I love the concept. I love the crazy uh, vagabond scavenger dude showing up trying to kill Kowalski. Just an insane, unexpected antagonist. It was really well executed. Even though, like, I'm like, oh, this is Amazing Fantasy 15. Here, here, here. It was still it, the reason that template works is it's a good story. It's a good origin story, and it, it, it's, it can be translated to so many different genres. Like you said, it's a classic hero's origin, you know? So, you know, I, I, yeah. While, while you were talking, I, you know, hopped on Wikipedia really quick just to find out uh, how old uh, Tony Isabella is. And uh, he was born in 1951. So at the time of this book, he was 23. So, hey, baby. <laughs> Yeah, like I said, I imagine he might, like, because I follow him on Facebook and stuff. I like the guy. I, I like his writing normally, you know? The man created Black Lightning. You know, I, I believe he wrote a Hawkman miniseries, The Shadow War, back in, uh, well, decades ago now that I freaking loved. I, I like Tony's writing. But this smacks to me of, like, you know, Young Turk trying to have attitude and prove himself and maybe reaching, a, you know, he was young, but I doubt he was ever really hip. <laughs> 
you know, like with the whole baby thing and all that, just just don't. You're not Stan Lee. Stan could fake it like he was hip and and pull it off. You know, he could sling lingo and he made up his own lingo coming out with a Fendi and, you know, true believers and all that. But no, you're not going to you're not going to replace Stan's pitter patter even when you're trying to be deep at the same time. No, 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 no. I hate that piece. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, moving on. Yeah, so, so, you know, what your overall impression of the issue, though, like, since before we jump into into the rest of this, this little bit here, this episode, um, like I said, I, I, I talk a lot of crap in this episode about various parts of this book, but the story is a winner. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, the, this was like, I said, there's a reason why I chose this book to be the first one that we did the special mission or whatever the hell you want to call it. I mean, uh, Weird War gives you that dead man meets quantum leap vibe. You know, Kowalski leaps into the body of someone at the moment they die, makes the wrong things right, and leaps when he dies again. And the whole just premise behind it is really interesting, you know? So, hey, who knows, you know, you know, maybe we'll return to this series, you know, where Death and John Kowalski are recurring characters. I'd, I'd be game, I'm quite sure Max would be game too, you know, so. Oh yeah, I think we could be do an determined. issue, or an episode rather, where we um, sum up the rest of the series, you know? We could like do revisiting war as hell, <laughs> you know, to, to, to hell and back and back again, and like get in there and just, kind of give our impressions of the rest of the series if if people are interested or you know heck even if they're not because i am but when you you said weird war you meant war as hell is a series where kowalski does a quantum leap type thing oh, but, okay uh, but again the, the presence of weird war is so big even in this issue because of that lovely piece by tony that it, it's hard not to slip and call it that. But again, man, it's it's tragic. I feel like I'll, you know, maybe I'll reserve final judgment till I read the rest of the issues. But I'm kind of sad this book failed based on issue one. I'm, I'm hooked. Issue nine, which is issue one of the original. The, yeah, the, the yeah. reboot, the yeah. whatever you want to call it. And again... Uh, almost accidentally biting the format of Weird War Tales, where the first seven issues of that book were reprints and then boom, original content. It's like, did you have to copy the whole thing? <laughs> so, well, hey, there, were, there were no Sergeant Rock reprints in, um, in Weird War Tales. So, at least more as hell, we, we got to see Sergeant Fury twice, you know? So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, Marvel had not quite as deep a bench of war books to pull from. So, um, and, and Sergeant Rock was still being published, right? When Weird War Tales came out. So, oh, God, yeah. I mean, Sergeant yeah. Rock went to issue like uh, 422, that was like 1988. Yeah, I think that was one of the last big two war books published to get get yanked, I think. Yeah, I mean, Sergeant Rock, there's a reason that that lasted longer. It's, you know, probably the best war comic ever published. And I I, I won't argue with that. So now, now we've kicked the issue around. Let's do what we normally do for Weird War Tales. We're going to talk about our favorite ads in this issue, and I'm going to shut up and let Rich lead. This is uh this was an ad heavy issue. This this required a lot of flipping around. I mean, so 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 many to choose from here. But as the saying goes, you know the one when you see it. Page twenty-one. Reproduction German helmets, Titax and lapel pins with swastikas, one dollar, decals with SS runes and death head skulls, fifty-two page catalog for fifty cents, Adolphs in Minneapolis, Minnesota. 
man, can you even begin to comprehend putting this out there today? You remember all the bikers and stuff from like the 50s, from the 50s, from, from the 70s and stuff, wearing all the, you know, the coal scuttle helmets and, you know, thinking that they're all, you know, badasses and the bad guys and stuff like that with that kind of like Germanic feel to it and stuff like that. Maybe they frequented this place. I don't know. But I was like, whoo. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was shocked to see that. And again, as often happens when I'm getting ready for an episode, I'm like, oh, I know this is going to be Rich's pick. You know, I mean, how could it not be? I mean, this is this is just profane. Like, again, I'm going back. This, this is this episode. I'm going back to that piece Isabella wrote, The Make Your Own Hell. He's talking about how we're not going to glorify Warren. He's not in charge of the ads. But, man, you got an ad in here pimping super cool Nazi regalia. Uh, you're not going to glorify war? Yeah, you might have talked to the advertising department. You know, and sadly, I'll bet since you asked that a lot of so-called American comic book readers here in 2021 would be openly appreciative of such an ad appearing in their Indiegogo funded publications these days. But hey, since I have to pick my own ad and we need something a little lighter on the fascism fetishism factor, how about 25 live seahorses for 249. Kit has two mated pairs of seahorses, including one pregnant male in all capital letters, who will give birth to as many as 25 babies. Marine salt, food, and instructions included, plus a live marine snail. I mean, Ooh. talk about a bonus. Yeah, right there. Above Kit with custom aquarium, seahorse tree, seashells, coral, and silica sand. 398. Wait a minute, says 249 up above. Anyway, live delivery guaranteed. Large deluxe aquarium with five mated pairs of seahorses, two pregnant males over 50 seahorses, 798 seahorses. Department MC774, Box 768, Miami, Florida, 33142. I mean, if it was the Octung, like Adolf's place, obviously takes the issue. But man, I got a strong second place here, I think. I mean, can you imagine if a kid somehow ordered these and didn't tell their parents? What in Poseidon's name do you think actually showed up on the front porch at the end of this transaction? I mean, there's also an ad on the very same page for ordering imported birds of prey to use for hunting. There was some kind of freaky, not very legal animal trafficking going on in these pages back in the 70s. I mean, because this isn't the first time I've noticed this. There's a lot of get alive animal ads throughout all these issues we've looked at and the weird war tale stuff i've got other comics from the 70s here in the house and i'm starting to notice these things so something pretty sinister was going on if you'd have done this i would have seen you making yourself you know the, the little half inch sized aquaman and just trying to like super glue it to the back of the sea <laughs> i mean of course because th that is one of, for me, the coolest things about Aquaman is the giant seahorse that he, you know, rides around. Like, everyone makes fun of Aquaman and stuff. I'm like, come on, dude. Giant seahorse and a dude carrying a trident riding into battle. Like, that's not going to freak you out. You're not going to pause for a second and then get speared. Yes, you are. Because seahorses are weird. Imagine one's like nine feet long. <laughs> but this thing, just... All, you're getting a snail, you're getting, and they keep saying one pregnant male, two pregnant males. I mean, we know they're not pregnant. We know they're just holding the babies inside them. But like over and over again, the obsession with capitalizing pregnant males and you're getting like an aquarium, you're going to have 25 babies. This, this is insane. I, I can just imagine a dad in 1974 coming out to the porch like, what do you want me to sign for? What, what is this? What, 
you know, and it's like all these easily dead animals <laughs> inside a box, you know. They got left that got left on the front porch for like eight hours in the summertime heat or something. Oh my god, just a horror story, you know. Like at least sea monkeys came like dried and you they were brine shrimp and you wet the thing and they all sprung to life for i don't know a few days or whatever but these things were definitely going to be deceased when they arrived at your house uh, 25 live seahorses probably at the start of the trip <laughs> now there's five live seahorses <laughs> yeah i mean like if you, if you maybe if you live right in miami florida that they just have to walk them to your house like what and how many do they have and where are they keeping them i have so many questions is there a warehouse full of like seahorse kits ready to go like i i again if anyone out there knows anyone who received these things by ordering this ad back in 74 please tell us the story i need to know I, I simply need to know. Um, I'll be working on my, uh, you know, my, my chip away set that I'll find on eBay, listening to the story uh, from the ad from last time around. But man, this, this was, again, despite all my, my, um, my trash talking, this was a great issue. These ads were horrifying and incredibly uh, intriguing. <laughs> um, so I, I'm I'm a I'm a fan of of War as Hell. I, I you know at least from issue nine on, I'm going all the way to finish it. And uh, you know I, I'm glad you picked this as our first special mission. And I like that term better because it goes back to GI Joe special missions. Um, you know side mission. Eh. So we'll call these special missions from here on out. So that concludes our first spinoff episode. Do do you guys out there want us to return to the series? where death and John Kowalski are recurring characters. Is there another war horror book or series you'd like us to explore? Send along your suggestions for consideration or don't. We have plenty of ideas all ready to go and I'm sure you'll love them. If you're, if you want to find out how to send us these ideas, we are on Facebook at weird warriors podcast. We're on Twitter at weird warrior pod or just weird warriors podcast. So you can send us messages there and let us know what you think about anything. Cause you know, we've, we've got the accounts. We're sitting there ready. Might as well make some comments people. So that's us. That's our first special mission and war is hell everyone, but we promise you that we will make war no more.